reservation fail. Oh my gosh, it was a gong show. How thousands of would-be campers missed out on summer's hottest ticket. School uncertainty. He will not survive this if he got it. Why going back to class is a life or death decision for some families. And a neighborhood under siege. I definitely don't feel safe a lot of the time. The increase in crime since COVID-19 began. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Well, if today's level of interest is any indication, it seems British Columbians are planning on making the most of a summer of staycations. Within minutes of its 7 a.m. opening, the BC Parks Reservation website crashed, overwhelmed by the record-breaking demand. Grace Key reports. Armed with multiple devices, at 7 a.m., the race was on to snatch up a coveted camping spot in B.C., but frustrations ran high when hopeful campers were hit with multiple error messages. We had three laptops going, three cell phones going, and we were trying to log on, and we kept getting a system error. Um, and it just, like, you'd get almost there. You could even see the site at one point, and that was after an hour and a half. You could actually see, oh, my God, there's a site, right? Or, gosh, sorry, there's a site. And then all of a sudden it goes, uh, timed out. More than 50,000 people were online when the site went live. In the first half hour, 800 reservations were made. The same time last year, there were 1,100 in one day. This system was overhauled completely five years ago to fix a similar problem with commercial operators booking up all the sites. And it worked tickety-boo until the NDP decided to fix it last December. This system uh, got no special tweaking for this first day. We thought it would be able to handle it. I think, frankly, when you get 50,000 people trying to book online at any one time, that's a tremendous surge. The ministry was told rewriting the booking system would have taken too long, and they didn't want to delay opening the site. This is totally unnecessary because they could have done it by region, by alphabetical order of the campsites, by lots of different ways. We might want to find out if that's what British Columbians want, if it would be more effective, or it would, if it would simply add to confusion. My apologies to British Columbians who are frustrated. It was not perfect today. We're working to make it better every day. 43,000 reservations were made in the first six and a half hours. There's a two-month rolling window, so new reservations are available every day. Grace Key, Global News. And turning now to the COVID-19 numbers in the province and the total for the past 48 hours, we have 12 new cases from Saturday afternoon through to this morning. And that brings our total cases to 2,530. Sadly, there have been four more deaths, all at the Langley Lodge Care Home. The total number of lives lost to COVID-19 in B.C. is now 161. Keith Baldry has more on why long-term care homes continue to be a point of concern and how another one of B.C.'s ideas in dealing with the pandemic is leading the way for the country. Our efforts are working and we are making progress. One week after she began to ease restrictions, Dr. Bonnie Henry is liking what she's seen in terms of a response by British Columbians. People are doing the right things. We're following our rules for the safe social interactions and we're taking necessary precautions. The hospitalizations and ICU numbers continue to decline. While recovered cases are spiking upward in number and the number of active cases, those with the virus right now, has dropped below 300 for the first time in weeks. 
But the news is not all good. 20 people have now died at the Langley Lodge long-term care home, and it is proving to be a tough outbreak to get on top of. One of the most affected units is a dementia unit, and we know that it's you know, incredibly challenging when people um, have dementia uh, to, to be able to um, ensure that they're wearing a mask, that they're staying in their rooms and things like that. We've had one care home that's in a very small period of time gone from uh, no people passed away to 20 and that's the vulnerability. But there was some potentially good news out of Ottawa today. <laughs> BC Premier John Horgan's idea of protecting sick workers is getting some support at the top. Nobody should have to choose between taking a day off work due to illness or being able to pay their bills. Just like nobody should have to choose between staying home with COVID-19 symptoms or being able to afford rent or groceries. His words were welcomed back here. That's very good news, and I think that is something that will help all of us in terms of preventing infection in workplaces, um, and particularly important right now uh, with this virus. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. And Keith, we do have you. All right, Keith, a lot of people are wondering, myself included, about the border and travel, and it sounds like even when we can, when we are allowed to travel to the U.S. again, you'll have to plan on self-isolation when you come home for the foreseeable yep. future. Yeah, this is going to be with us a long time, folks, and I get a lot of mail on this issue. The border's not open anytime soon. It's closed officially till June 21st, uh, likely to be extended again probably well into the fall. And that rule for self-isolation will, uh, will remain on the books. It's a source of tension between the federal government and the B.C. government because the feds are responsible for international travel, places like airports and the borders. And it's been B.C. civil servants who've been seconded from ministries who have been doing the ones of determining, ensuring that people self-isolate. Dr. Bonnie Henry, again, stressing the importance of self-isolating once you cross that border, particularly if you're coming from the United States. As we consider opening up our borders again, knowing um, what's happening in the United States, and to be frank, in particular in the United States, but also um, in other parts of the world, uh, we need to be able to ensure that we are protecting our communities and our families here in BC. And that means making sure that people um, are able to self-isolate and are supported in doing that and are monitored in doing that. And again, the source of tension here, Sophie, is that the, Fed, the federal government is responsible for such things as a temporary foreign workers program. And the B.C. government hoping that the feds become more active in monitoring these travelers and ensuring they self-isolate before they go to work in British Columbia. I think Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix would have more to say about this in the days ahead because I don't think it's going to get resolved totally, totally everyone's satisfaction anytime soon. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Yeah. BC's provincial health officer also cleared up any confusion surrounding Metro Vancouver's only remaining drive-in theater. On Friday, Dr. Bonnie Henry said her ban on gatherings of no more than 50 includes vehicles. Well, Langley's Twilight Drive-In, which has been sold out most nights with hundreds of vehicles, told Global News they didn't believe that order applied to them because they are classified as a theater and not an event. However, today, Dr. Henry made it clear they are subject to the restrictions. It does apply to 50 vehicles. It applies to um, places like drive-ins. There was a number of events we know that were being planned. Some of them were going to be quite large. Um, and this is what we need to do right now. This is not forever, but it is for this phase. We need to be consistent. 
Now, late this afternoon, the owners of the Twilight Drive-In put out an email saying they dispute the classification of their business as a drive-in event, saying they're a brick-and-mortar business with a valid business license. They're asking their customers to press the health ministry for an exemption to the restrictions. Many families are uneasy about sending their kids back to school next week, but for some, it's out of the question even in the fall. Parents of children who are immunocompromised say without a COVID-19 vaccine, their children would be put at risk in a classroom. And with a second wave expected, they're asking the province for help. Erin MacArthur reports. Where's your science? Matthias Hogler and his brother Marcus busy with schoolwork. The Lower Mainland teens not getting ready to head back to classes next week like their friends. Matthias, born with a severe heart condition that has left him with lifelong chronic health issues. Our son lives with basically half a functioning heart and um, 50 percentile or a little bit above that in lung capacity and his oxygen intake is below the 90 percentile. So he's extremely fragile. Come September, without a vaccine, the situation doesn't get any easier. Both siblings likely will have to stay home. The risk to Matthias, simply too great. What do we do? Like, does my husband and my youngest son go and live somewhere else so that they can go to work and go to school? And do we stay isolated here? It's going to be really hard on our family if it comes to that. The Ministry of Education has said there won't be a one-size-fits-all solution for kids going back in the fall. In an email, the ministry says platforms like Zoom will still be available. Plus, the ministry already offers online learning as a regular part of the curriculum. And over the summer, a more formalized approach will be developed for blended learning. So I expect there'll be um, some degree of a hybrid system come the fall as well. I'm sure these resources can be used, but I also hope that the government help us along and help us figure out how we are going to balance working from home and educating our kids. For parents who choose to or need to keep kids at home, the options aren't great. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The city of Vancouver has unveiled its first stretch of slow streets meant to encourage safer walking and cycling during the COVID-19 pandemic. The route links New Brighton, Trout Lake and Queen Elizabeth Parks via 12 kilometers of city streets. City Hall is planning to designate up to 50 more kilometers of roadways as slow streets to limit large gatherings and help people keep two meters apart. Under the program, pedestrians and cyclists will be allowed to use the roadways. And while those streets won't be closed to cars, they will be limited to local traffic and drivers will be expected to reduce their speed. Residents and business owners in the West End say their neighborhood has become a new crime hotspot, attracting homeless campers and drug use since COVID-19 began. As Rumina Dea reports, they're worried about their safety and their livelihood. They want the mayor to do something about it. First the pandemic, now this. West End businesses on the brink of reopening, now overrun with violence, drug use, garbage and human waste. When I arrive to work, there's usually people camped out in the entryway to the building. Often they're injecting themselves with drugs or smoking drugs and there's needles all over the ground, garbage everywhere. 
Hair salon owner Victoria Jazik opens her doors Tuesday. She's one of several business owners in Jim Diva Plaza who are highly concerned about the safety of clients and staff. We're asking people to wait outside until their stylist is ready for them, but I know a lot of clients may not feel comfortable sitting right outside when there's a lot of this stuff going on. Restaurant owner Danilo Chacha says the plaza is not safe. It's an everyday problem. It is not my job to uh, talk with the people here or to fight with the people here. Business owners and residents tell Global News the situation has deteriorated since BC Housing recently moved 250-plus people out of Oppenheimer Park into several hotels within blocks of the plaza. Vancouver police say an increased number of frontline officers have been deployed to the Davie Street corridor. We have seen that businesses that are opening are having to deal with people who are loitering in front of their businesses. We are working with those community partners, with our BIAs in the areas, to let them know that we are going to clear out the areas. A petition, 800 voices strong and counting, now calling on Mayor Kennedy Stewart and Vancouver City Council to show some leadership and secure the plaza. The people is being more aggressive to each other. I think the city should really consider and because so before that something bad happened. The community willing to fight, saying the activist the plaza is named after would be let down by the new normal. Romina Dea, Global News. Construction crews have reached a major milestone on the massive Site C dam project. Two huge diversion tunnels, 750 meters long and 11 meters in diameter, are now complete. In September, the gates will open, diverting the Peace River through those tunnels to allow the construction of the earth-filled dam across the main river channel. That river diversion will be in place until the Site C Reservoir is filled in 2023. Well, the former leader of the B.C. Green Party is taking aim at the party's two sitting MLAs. In a tweet over the weekend, Andrew Weaver accused Adam Olson and Sonia Furstenau of being more interested in re-election than their green principles. Richard Zussman has more on what's behind this very public falling out. Many times, this history-making Green Caucus has been all smiles. But over the weekend, any notion Andrew Weaver, Adam Olson and Sonia Furstenau are still on the same page shattered. Weaver tweeting this. My former colleagues, Adam Olson and Sonia Furstenau, were afraid to stand up to the BC NDP on LNG development. I was ready to go to an election. But in my opinion, they were more interested in re-election than they were about standing up for BC Green principles. And then Weaver heading on the radio. I went into negotiations with this. We were able to get a lot done, and in the end, it all worked out. You know, we need to have Clean BC, which we ended up getting. We need to have these legislated. And failing that, um, you know, I don't see how we can continue to support the government. Weaver quit the Green Caucus earlier this year for family reasons. The history of LNG for the Greens complicated. All three voting in favor of a provincial budget, including potential LNG revenues, but voting against the LNG project many times. We very much stood up against the uh, LNG uh, giveaway from the NDP. The BC Greens have been exceptionally consistent and clear about our position on LNG. Uh, we have uh, we voted 14 times uh, as a caucus against. First announced running to replace Weaver as leader, a race currently suspended due to the pandemic. Olson is serving as interim leader. 
the three of them decided to support the NDP in a minority parliament. The sparring between old friends could hurt the Greens when the next election is expected to take place next year. The few times we see leaders um, sort of continue sniping at candidates or the new leader, it really is not very helpful. It doesn't look good on the old leader and it doesn't help the party. What has been lost in the feud is what started the sparring. Weaver's criticism of First Now's idea of a four-day work week. I think it's a great opportunity to talk about a lot of possibilities that exist before us as part of the recovery from COVID to really look at what kind of economy and what kind of society we want to build. An idea that could have triggered the official end of one of British Columbia's most noteworthy political teams. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, for months, COVID-19 has quieted democracy demonstrations in Hong Kong, but that changed this weekend. Tear gas filled the air once again as police and protesters clashed on Sunday. The unrest ramping up over China's sweeping new security laws, which critics say will dramatically curb freedoms in Hong Kong. Why the renewed tension could have consequences here in B.C. in just over a minute. Troubling pictures from a Toronto park. Is this the answer to the social distancing dilemma? That's still to come. Also ahead tonight, a tiny bug with big consequences. The health scare that put a little girl in hospital. Right now, though, growing concerns over whether events on the other side of the world will affect us here in B.C. As demonstrators in Hong Kong continue to fight with police over new security laws from the Chinese government, there are questions about whether the unrest will lead to a mass exodus to this province. Brad McLeod reports. Tensions are high in Hong Kong as mainland China takes aim at dissent. The latest protests sparked by a Chinese bill banning anything the government sees as secessionist, subversive, or viewed as foreign interference and terrorism. If enacted, the Chinese government would have the power to directly enforce security in Hong Kong, likely shutting down scenes like this. And the support is being seen around the world. This was the Chinese consulate in Vancouver Sunday. The U.S. is threatening sanctions if rights of residents are restricted. Trudeau says he's keeping an eye on the situation. We have uh, 300,000 Canadians who live in Hong Kong, uh, and that's uh, one of the reasons why uh, we want to ensure that the one country, two systems uh, approach continues for Hong Kong. But could this bill be the push some overseas need to come back to B.C.? There's already an influx in asylum seekers. Highly unusual because for the last couple of decades, you've had less than a dozen a year. Over the last few months, it's increased in dozens. If Hong Kongers do come, could that mean a shot in the arm for real estate sales? So the impact is going to be noticeable, but it's not going to be nearly as significant as you uh, saw in 1997. That's when Hong Kong was given back to China from Britain. As for the influx now, Scarrow says multi-million dollar homes will likely stay stagnant. Entry-level condos, entry-level single-family homes, those products, I think, will be stronger moving forward. But more protests are planned, so those who call Hong Kong home won't have to go anywhere. Brad McLeod, Global News. A tragic end to a family search. It's also devastating to, to hear about other families who are you know, going through a similar experience. Renewed calls for a silver alert and what's holding things up. Also ahead, the cottage industry cleaning dirty cash. What BC's money laundering inquiry is revealing.
Ongoing seismic and safety upgrades causing some minor delays at the south end of the Granville Street Bridge. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts. For insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home, just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Granville Street Bridge. The Cullen Commission into money laundering resumed online today, focusing on how millions of dollars of dirty money was funneled through BC's real estate, gambling and luxury car industries. Today, the commission was told that money laundering has become a cottage industry unto itself, complete with professional consultants and specialists. John Hua reports. As bags of dirty money were carried into BC casinos, cleaning the proceeds of crime, became a cottage industry in this province. It really revolves around a group and an informal money service business that was set up solely, almost exclusively, to launder money. Stephen Schneider, a criminology professor from St. Mary's University, pointing to the creation of so-called consultants who specialize in the transport and laundering of criminal cash. We can't just think in sort of these stereotypical sort of drug dealers with bags full of cash, we also have to think of more sophisticated, um, you know, corporate entities that are engaged in unethical criminal activities. Schneider's expert testimony came over video conferencing as the Cullen Commission pushed forward with its public inquiry into money laundering in BC. No one anticipated that the world would be in the grip of a pandemic when our spring hearings were scheduled to commence. This second phase focusing on the scope of the problem in this province and the regulatory frameworks of sectors including casinos, real estate, and luxury vehicles. One of your most crucial uh, goals in money laundering is to create the guise of legitimacy. And so what better way to do that than through the legitimate economy? Schneider also explains why BC has become a hub for this heinous criminal activity. It was a geopolitical location and it ties to California and to China and as well as um, just a sort of homegrown drug industries. The bottom line, money laundering services were in big demand and British Columbia seemed like the perfect place to set up shop. John Hua, Global News. The search for Jarnel Sangara, a missing senior with dementia, has had a tragic ending. The 88-year-old who was believed to have been headed to a Sikh temple in Delta was found dead in Burns Bog. His death renewing calls once again for a silver alert system for missing people with dementia. The body of 88-year-old Jarnail Sangara has been found in a wooded area near Nordell Way and 116th Street in Delta. He had gone missing nine days ago and his family made a public plea for the man who suffers from dementia and diabetes. If you do spot him, please um, understand that he's a very friendly person. As often happens, the discovery is made close to home, in this case about five kilometres away. It's why some have been calling for a so-called silver alert for seniors. So I'm absolutely frustrated, you know, at the six-year mark that there's been very little progress towards an official silver alert program. Thank you so much. Shin No, an Alzheimer's patient, went missing more than six years ago from Coquitlam and has never been found. His last reported sighting on nearby Burke Mountain. Amber alerts for missing children go province, sometimes countrywide, because the child is probably in a vehicle. Dementia or Alzheimer patients rarely go far from home. Since they only travel a few kilometers away from home, you don't need to notify the whole province um, for a missing senior with dementia. You could geo-target alerts to target certain communities that are relevant. 
Police have not asked for a uh, the silver alert uh, system. Uh, as I said, one of the things that one of the challenges is to create a system uh, where you don't desensitize uh, the public. Advertisers and social media geo-target all the time, sometimes right down to a specific neighbourhood. The technology is there. In Canada, there are currently about a half million people with Alzheimer's, a number that's expected to double to a million in just 12 years. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Still to come, from playtime to paralysis. It was so scary. I thought we were going to lose her. A little girl's mysterious illness and the clue hidden in her hair. Plus, park circles and other potential solutions to the problem of physical distancing. Next. Traffic is in great shape in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge after clearing a three-car crash northbound at the north end. Kermac Collision and Autoglass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The World Health Organization has suspended testing the drug hydroxychloroquine in COVID-19 patients due to safety concerns. It had previously recommended against using hydroxychloroquine for the coronavirus, except as part of clinical trials. The malaria drug, which has been effective in treating lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, has been touted by President Donald Trump and others as a possible treatment for COVID-19. Trump now says he has finished taking a two-week course of the drug as a preventative treatment, even though there is no evidence that it's effective. Concern is mounting that huge gatherings like the one we saw Saturday in a Toronto park may drive up the number of COVID positive cases in the city. As Global's Morgan Campbell reports, some are looking south of the border for ideas on how to make parks safer. Large white rings are popping up in California parks. They are meant to encourage physical distancing and taking a glance at these pictures, it appears to be working in this San Francisco park. I think it's kind of good to divide things because people are not quite sure what six feet is yet. Toronto residents we spoke with want to see similar strategies in local parks after thousands flooded Trinity Bellwoods over the weekend, blatantly ignoring physical distancing rules. The city can't just throw up their hands and say they can't control it because what is the point of half measures? Medical experts predict a rise in Toronto's COVID positive cases within the next five to 10 days. Here's the issue. Even if you don't feel sick, it doesn't mean you are virus free. It's being spread by people who are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. So over a period of time, most of us will be immune. If everyone took it upon themselves to understand that my behaviors affect you and your behaviors affect me. That should be the nature of a liberal democracy. After 10 weeks in self-isolation combined with the arrival of nice weather, it's really no surprise that people want to get out. We've been yearning for this since isolation began. Steve Jordans is a professor of psychology. He says people's disregard for physical distancing can be chalked up to what's called the optimal arousal theory. We've been having a lot of quiet nights and a lot of quiet 
days for a very long time. Um, so, I, so I wouldn't wrote so much call it isolation fatigue as, as I would probably call it sort of a need for, for activity, a need for something um, that's social. Which experts say can be done by expanding public spaces, similar to what we are seeing with Active Toronto and the opening of roads to pedestrians and cyclists. It's conditioned to the fact that people need to keep their distance. Morgan Campbell, Global News. The White House has imposed a travel ban on foreign nationals arriving from Brazil. The South American nation is now the world's second major hotspot for COVID-19 behind the United States. Brazil has recorded more than 360,000 cases of the virus with more than 22,000 deaths. The travel ban will not apply to U.S. citizens and will take effect on Friday. A terrifying health scare has a Langley family warning everyone tonight to be careful outdoors with young children. They almost lost their two-year-old daughter to a mysterious condition no one could figure out until her mother found something in her hair. Linda Ellsworth has the story. When you're two years old, your biggest worry should be when the rain's going to stop so you and your sister can go out and play. If only the situation was as carefree last Wednesday. We noticed that she was crawling around. We just thought she was playing with Big Sister. And then I tried to pick her up and she collapsed. Malia was taken by ambulance to Langley Hospital. She was going downhill fast. So it started in her legs. She couldn't walk. And then her arms were not working. Malia wasn't even there for an hour before she was rushed to BC Children's Hospital. She couldn't breathe properly and she couldn't swallow her saliva. She was paralyzed head to toe. No one could figure out what was causing her rapid decline. That's when her mother made a life-saving discovery. I was laying in bed with her just before she was going to go to the ICU and I was playing with her hair and I found a tick. It was a Rocky Mountain wood tick. They typically jump from grass onto unsuspecting hosts that walk too close. When they bite, they release a neurotoxin causing tick paralysis. One or two people are affected in BC each year. I was so scared. I've never experienced anything like it. Good job. Good job. But 12 hours after the tick was removed, Malia started to recover. And Friday afternoon, she actually sat up on her own, which was extremely exciting. And then we tried walking. She was still really wobbly. Today she is home and fully recovered with no memory of the ordeal, but her family will never forget, which is why there are going to be some changes at playtime from now on. Pants, socks, hats and spray. <laughs> I am actually thinking about cutting her hair. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Still to come, holidays at home. Vacations, that's what it's going to be all about this summer. How BC's tourism sector is depending on you this summer. And later, the trick shot you have to see to believe. At BC Children's Hospital, the heroes don't wear capes. They sit beside us, walk with us, and never stop searching for answers. Help the heroes. Join us for Miracle Weekend, May 30th on Global BC. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A spectacular illusion is stopping people in their tracks in South Korea. The special effects behind this wave tank right after Christie's forecast. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon. 
been a bit of a miserable day, Christy, and uh, some renewed fears about flooding in the interior. That's right. We're keeping our eye on the Cache Creek area, Sophie, where on Saturday they have just declared a state of local emergency. So uh, the river levels have come up again. Evacuation alerts for 175 properties along the Bonaparte River. Uh, there's uh, reports of eroding trees as well as causing problems on the highways. Now, uh, that area has been upgraded to a flood watch. You can see it here on the map west and north of the Cache Creek area. Again, it's the Bonaparte air, uh, River area. Uh, that they're concerned about. Now, the good news is over the weekend, they didn't have as much rain as what could have happened. And this cold front that swung through today really didn't hit that region very much. So rainfall has been, I guess, minimal uh, to say the least in that region. But now what we're watching is the warmth. There is a trend towards much warmer temperatures towards late week. And it's those two things that we're concerned about mainly is rainfall and a big warm up because that can cause snow melt. Uh, so we'll be watching that later in the week. Here's a look at your forecast for your Tuesday, everyone, a pretty nice clearing trend. Now, we still do have a slight chance of showers across many regions, including the south coast, but just through the morning hours. Expect some sunshine by the afternoon and a beautiful day on Wednesday with highs reaching 25 degrees away from the water. Should be dry this week right through until Saturday, and I'll leave you with your central windows weather window. Look at this cute little family. This Aww. is from Ambleside. Gord Cook sending us this one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven baby swans i haven't seen a little photo like that before so thanks so much gord all right it almost so back looks to you. like it could be a robert bateman or something like that it's beautiful thanks christy <laughs> yeah. now back to that giant 3d wave breaking over seoul's gangnam district check this out what looks like a wave tank suspended in the air is actually a giant 3D screen outside a shopping mall. The installation appears every hour for one minute on the LED facade. The design company says the project uses 8K resolution and covers 17,500 square feet. That's about the size of four basketball courts. The design company says it has received many inquiries from abroad, including a company working for billboards in... Times Square in New York. <laughs> Get out of the way of that wave. All right, uh, the gang's all here because we have a congratulations in order, a shout out to one of our own news team members tonight. News team assemble. Global VC's Ramina Dea <laughs> is this year's Canada Screen Awards winner for best local reporter in the whole country. We knew that, of course, and now the rest of the country is recognizing her. Ramina mm -hmm. earned the honor for her work on this very newscast, the News Hour at 6. She joined the station back in 2004, 16 years here, and is passionate about helping people conquer David and Goliath battles. Congratulations, Ramina Day. Congratulations, sister. Well deserved. We well say. deserved. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, we are lucky to have her here. We really are. Everybody's lucky mm -hmm. to have her. Audience as well. Yeah, well done, Dan. <laughs> All right, uh, Squire, what do you got coming up? I've got a story that uh, Jay has put together. Daniel Tawana is a 10-year-old who wants to crush the squash world. I want to start competing. I want to get good. I want to do everything. His glasses are as cool as Ramina's. And in order to do that, he has embraced the kind of hard work it takes to get to the top. Also coming up later, tourism in the age of coronavirus. What BC businesses are banking on.
<laughs> yes, all this time at Home Squire, I've been furniture shopping in my mind. But not actually doing it. No, that's just an effort. envisioning it. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. It's we all have our ways of getting here. by these days. All right, what's going uh, on? Phase two of the NHL's plan to get back to actually playing games might start as early as next week. But this one will only allow six players on the ice at a team's facility. There'll be no coaches, although there might be goalie coaches allowed. That's been talked about. Players wanting to skate will have to be tested for COVID-19. They'll be given a medical exam. They are also required to socially distance when not on the ice and wear a mask when they go into a facility and leave a facility. And these are voluntary workouts. Teams cannot tell players to go to them. Well, there is a squash prodigy living among us. Daniel Tawana is a 10-year-old boy from Vancouver who is honing his natural skills right now in a garage his father has reconfigured just for him. I, I love squash. It's just, to me, it's amazing. What's amazing is the skill level and dedication of just turned 10-year-old Daniel Tawana. Before he started thinking the Vancouver youngster was born with a squash racket in his hand, he wasn't. Daniel didn't get serious about playing squash until last fall. At last September, October, I just, I realized how much I love the sport and I just, I told my dad, I said to him, I want to start competing, I want to get good, I want to do everything, I want to train, I want to do everything I could to become the best player. So Daniel started putting in the time to make himself a better all-round athlete. We're talking serious time, like 300-plus push-ups a day, strenuous core exercises. He patented his skip roping after watching boxing champ Anthony Joshua's workout session. Throw in five-minute planking, anything to get fitter and stronger, Daniel's doing it. He's young, he's keen, and he loves to one-up me. He doesn't settle with doing uh, what, I, with what I'm doing. He'll one-up me, he'll do five more push-ups, he'll do ten more reps of whatever uh, core exercise we're doing, and he will not let me beat him. Watching and listening to Daniel gives you a good sense of his drive and ambition. How many 10-year-olds do you know who already have a racket and shoe sponsorship deal? This is a kid who's dreaming big. Last year he made it all the way to the U.S. Open Squash Championship, where the world's best are front and center. Daniel didn't win, but he learned some valuable lessons. When you win a match, you just think about all the things you did right. But when you lose a match, you actually start to think about the things you did wrong and that weren't so good. And that helps you improve your game. When you win, you're just thinking about going back home and celebrating. I think the most important thing about what he's done is that he's learning some really important life lessons. And the skill that he's learned now is not necessarily becoming good at squash, but the skill that I'm really excited about is that he's learned to work really hard. And that's easily transferable, and he's going to need that because who knows what he's going to do in life. But he's going to know that if he puts his mind to something, he has the ability to master something. And he's learned the importance of hard work. And now more impressive skills. Scott Pollock of Northampton Town in England's League 2 kicks a ball over the house and then runs and makes sure it doesn't touch the ground using only his feet. 
The made-for-TV golf event with Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady that ran yesterday was a huge hit. The highest rated golf telecast in cable television history and it raised $20 million for COVID-19 relief. All four players were mic'd up, but the best moment belonged to Tom Brady, who had been getting trash-talked by Charles Barkley, who was one of the announcers. I think you just made him mad, Chuck. Oh, no, I love it, though, man. He, he can take a joke. Chuck. Hey man, Chuck. I got that's all through. Shut your mouth, Chuck. Oh, Take a little of that medicine. Get your butt out of here. Tiger and Peyton won by this much. All right, thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jada Rant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. JD? Thanks very much, Sophie. We'll have more on what Dr. Bonnie Henry had to say today about drive in theaters. Businesses like Langley's Twilight Drive In are not exempt from the rules that limit the number of people allowed to gather. The news comes as one of their shows tonight is sold out. And a local state of emergency remains in effect in Cache Creek, where flooding is threatening even more homes. A business owner there claims she's getting no help from the government. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Sophie. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Well, staying close to home is the mantra these days, and BC's tourism sector is counting on that. That's up next. Recognize one of your BC healthcare heroes. Tonight's nomination comes to us from Helen Budnerchuk, who wanted to recognize her best friend. Her BFF, Yvonne Dale, works at Abbotsford Regional Hospital often in the hot zone. That's the COVID-19 ward. Helen says not only is Yvonne committed to her nursing career, working long hours and picking up shifts when and where she's needed, she doesn't hesitate to put the safety and well-being of others before her own and always with a smile and sense of humor. Yvonne has an amazing way of supporting and comforting those around her in need and is always giving back in some form or another. Recently, she painted a picture inspired by the fight of her co-workers against COVID-19. She then created posters and sold the prints, donating the proceeds $750, uh, $750 to her local food bank. Helen says she and Yvonne have been best friends since grade two. That's 53 years of support and friendship, and Yvonne never ceases to amaze her. Yvonne? You amaze us too, and that's why you are tonight's BC Healthcare Hero. And if you have a healthcare hero you'd like to see recognized, just send us a few photos and some details about why they are your hero to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca. Well, it is shaping up to be unlike any other tourist season we have seen, with pandemic-related travel restrictions still in place and many people choosing to stay close to home. As Claudia Van Emmerich reports, tourism-reliant businesses in the Okanagan are bracing for what's to come. There are a lot of cleaning protocols in place, the Pulp Fiction and Robbie Rare Books coffee shop, but what there won't be plenty of this year are tourists. It's definitely going to impact our... Uh our situation uh, with the Americans coming across, they were coming across with a strong dollar, and now, of course, that's not going to happen. 
The downtown Kelowna coffee shop among the businesses bracing for what's expected to be a dismal tourist season. All of these wonderful tourism businesses are predicting drops in revenue sometimes from 60 up to 90 percent for this summer. Hotel occupancies right now are down at 11 percent. Um, this has never been heard of before. It doesn't bode well for the summer, to be honest. Kelowna is no stranger to challenging tourist seasons. Record floods and forest fires have kept visitors away before, but nothing Tourism Kelowna says compares to the current crisis. But all may not be lost. To help the industry recover, the provincial government has now announced a $10 million relief grant that will be distributed among several destination marketing organizations, including Tourism Kelowna, all in an effort to help market BC and showcase the traveling opportunities that exist right here at home. The marketing strategy hoping to compensate for the lack of international visitors, something that could prove beneficial. According to the Tourism Ministry, in 2018, British Columbians spent $6.7 billion on international travel. That's almost as much as the $6.9 billion international travelers spent here in B.C. that same year. The ministry says redirecting what British Columbians spend abroad towards BC's tourism sector could make a big difference in recovery. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Now, if only they could book a campsite. No. But there are, lovely, there are lovely golf courses up there and all around BC. The campsite reservations will reopen again tomorrow, so... Hopefully people will be able to log on tomorrow. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, final word on weather from Christy. Thanks, Sophie. So we still do have a slight chance of showers, about a 40% chance overnight and through the morning hours tomorrow. But sunshine after that, sunshine on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, not looking too bad either. So pretty nice that couple of days on the way. If you could extend that into the weekend, we'd really appreciate it. I'll try. You can do what you can. All right. Thanks, Christy. That's okay. all the time we have for tonight. Have a great rest of your evening. Good night, all.